Well, my name is Josh. If we haven't met, welcome to the Clear Creek family. I'm glad that you're here with us today. Um, Our hope is in Jesus. I hope you've seen that this morning. If you don't see anything, hear anything, or experiencing anything else, would you just know that Jesus loves you? And that our hope is in him and him alone. That's why as a family, if you don't know us very well, let me just tell you this. We exist. Our purpose for getting up in the morning is so that one more person, the next person will see Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, find Jesus, follow Jesus. It's because we truly do believe that God loves everyone and every person matters to him. And so we want you to know him and we want everyone to know him. Oh, hold on. I forgot, didn't I? You were holding off for me. Let me just tell you. Next Sunday, we get to start some Christmas stuff around here. The kids are excited. Moms and dads are going, oh, no. Well, starting next Sunday, too bad. Next Sunday, we're going to start into our Advent series. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which simply means coming or arrival of a noteworthy person. And so we're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus starting next Sunday. And we're going to look at some familiar old words from the ancient prophet Isaiah in which we're given a description of this great king, Jesus. He shall be called. And we're going to look at what he's called and what that means. By the way, if you're in need of some hope, some love, some peace, some joy, come see us over the next few weeks as we dive into that. All right, now that I have come back, let's get into the text here. Today we're finishing up our series, Practicing the Way, which has been simple look at some practices that Christians have engaged in for around 2,000 years, not to be more loved by God or more saved, but to simply open themselves up to the work and the power and the presence of God in their lives. And we've looked at a lot of different things, but let me just sort of summarize. There were four major ideas that we've tried to press down on for the past eight weeks. And so if you want to jot these down in your notes, I invite you to do so. Here's the first big idea that we began the series. It's simply this, formation... Is happening. You and I are becoming a certain kind of person right now. And we're either becoming more and more like Jesus or not. And for some of us, we look at our lives and go, ugh, I'm trying, but it's just not changing. And so we move from there to this really good news, this other really big idea, which is that you and I can effortlessly become more like Jesus by arranging our lives around the exact same activities that Jesus Christ arranged his life around. Those activities are called spiritual practices. And we've looked at 15 of the most common core practices over the past number of years. And these practices are divided up into two different sections. Now you'll notice one is the category of abstinence under which you have solitude, silence, fasting, and so on and so forth. Those are the practices where you do not do certain things. You abstain from something. And then on the other side, you have the engagement practices such as study and prayer and celebration and service. And those are the practices where you do something. And one of the key teachings, one of the key aha moments for me came when I realized and saw through some of the training I had received that sometimes the sins in my life are a result or at least are allowed to flourish because I do not practice certain disciplines. Another way to put it, some of these disciplines, some of these practices are the antidote to the sins that we often struggle with. And for some of us, we have struggled with sins of things that we should be doing, but we're just not. And so for us, doing practices of engagement can help be an antidote for that. For others of us in this room, there are sins that just have us by the throat And we don't want to do them, but we keep finding ourselves doing them. Well, practices of abstinence actually can help that. 
And so these work together in tandem to help the follower of Jesus become like, look like, live like Jesus Christ. And here's the fourth big idea. Every one of these practices are about freedom. Every spiritual practice that we look at is ultimately about freedom. It's not so God puts a big gold star on your name next to the chart in heaven. I don't know if there's a chart in heaven, but I imagine there's like a chart in heaven. It's not for that. It's because he wants you and me to walk in freedom. And the person who is free is not the person who has mastered lots and lots of practices. It's the person who through the practices is able to do that which he or she wants to do in the moment when they want to do it. You are free to live the way you were designed to live. Are we all tracking? Give me a little head nod if we're kind of all together on this. Okay. So with that said, we've looked at this. Now, some of you have asked, you said, hey, I've missed some of the weeks. Is there something that I can get like a cheat sheet? And the answer is absolutely. In fact, our gift to you on your way out, both of these doors on tables, there's a two-sided cheat sheet that gives you all 15 practices, the what, the why, and the how. So you grab that on the way out, and that's a nice, simple way to take what we have done together over these past eight weeks. Now, today we're going to do practice 14 and 15. And I need to warn you, these practices, while very, very good, are often ignored because they feel weird. But I don't want to see us do this because I believe many of these will lead us to greater freedom. And so, the next practice, practice number 14, is the practice of confession. Now, who in here just goes, ooh, that sounds great? No one. Why? Because confession runs against what most of us do, which is try to create a curated life online in the church, in our workplace, at school, to look away, sound away, to be a certain way, and not let people see what's underneath the surface. And confession, they won't let us do that. But here's the thing I want you to hear. Confession is like surgery. It, like surgery, cuts through everything, but also like surgery will cut deep enough down to the very thing that needs to be set free, to be cut out, to give you and I the freedom that God wants for us. So what is it? Dr. Dallas Willard, who wrote the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, the book that we're pulling much of this from, writes this. Confession is a discipline that functions within fellowship. Now, fellowship, you'll remember, is not simply going to the ball game together or going to the park together. Fellowship is when followers of Jesus practice the disciplines together. So it's when you share scripture, when you pray, when you talk about certain things that matter, when you reveal yourself to them in a spiritual context. That is biblical fellowship. So confession is a discipline that functions with fellowship. Now pay attention to this. In it, we let, key word, you may want to circle this on your page. We let trusted others know our deepest weaknesses and our failures. Now pause there. Notice, Willard says, trusted others. If you confide too deeply to someone who's not trustworthy, you can be badly damaged. So finding the right person, someone who is trustworthy, who won't misuse or hurt you is very, very important. You say, well, how do I find a trustworthy person? Okay, a few things. A trustworthy person is someone who when you tell them something in confidence, they keep it in confidence. When they're in small group, they don't share it as a prayer request. Have you noticed sometimes people do that? Oh, I've got a prayer request for a friend, a.k.a. I want to spiritually gossip. That is not a trusted person. A trusted person does not gossip, does not share things out of season or out of place. It is a person that when you do share things, they want your best and they will love you 
but they will call you to what is true, right, and good. Are we all kind of understanding what it means to be a trusted person? So it's going to take time. We're going to talk about how to do that in a moment, but that's the first thing. The second thing, notice this word deepest. Interesting little word there. You say deepest? Yeah. Isn't it true that the deeper the challenges in life, the more we want to hide them? And yet often the deeper the challenge, the more we need to be able to cut those things out to free ourselves, unburden ourselves from those very things. And so Willard makes the statement that this is what it looks like. He goes on. We let some friends in Christ know who we really are, not holding back anything important, but ideally allowing complete transparency. We lay down the burden of hiding and pretending, which normally takes up such a dreadful amount of human energy. Isn't it true that when we feel like we have to be someone we are not, it becomes a burden? But confession is one of the ways that we learn otherwise. So why in the world would we want to do something like this, especially when it is so difficult? If you've ever been, or if you've had a friend who's been in AA, maybe sometimes you've heard someone say something like this. They'll say, why can't the church be more like AA? And the answer is the church can be a lot more like AA if those in the church live and act a whole lot more like alcoholics. Now, let me explain what I'm not saying there, okay? What I mean by that is this. If you've ever been in an AA meeting or maybe you've gone with a friend, how does it always begin when people come up? Hi, my name is, and then you say what the problem is. What would the church of Jesus Christ look like if instead of coming in trying to look our best, we came in and said, hi, my name is Josh. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. He's Jesus, but boy, I need some help along the way. How would the body of Christ look radically different? How would your confidence in your faith radically change if you knew the church was a place where those who didn't have it all together still got to get together? That's what the body of Christ is meant to be like. So why would we do this? Well, scripture gives us a few reasons why confession is so very valuable. Proverbs 28 says this, whoever conceals or hides their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I need mercy in my life. How about you? Do you need someone to say, it's okay, I forgive you? That's where this comes from. So there's something about confession where we get mercy. And maybe the most famous of all the passages on confession in scripture comes from James chapter five. James was the half brother of Jesus himself. And years after Jesus's ascension, James writes to the church these words. He says, therefore confess, oh, there it is, your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, notice this, you may be, what is that? Healed. Now, that is a strange idea, and we'll come back to it in a moment. But this is why confession is so powerful. You may want to write this down. Why should we confess? Three things. Confession heals us from the burden of guilt and shame. Confession number two keeps us from repeating sins. By the way, have you noticed if you have a really, really good friend that you tell everything to, and then you tell them the things that you struggle with, You get to a point, you don't want to have to tell them what you're struggling with. You don't want to tell them where you've sinned. So what do you do when you're tempted to sin? You just don't do it because I don't want to have to tell my friend that I've done something wrong. Isn't it true when you have someone who will keep you accountable in your corner? It's a powerful antidote to the temptations that often grab us by the throat. And then number three, confession 
also reminds us, reminds us that we are loved and forgiven. Now, there's an old saying that says confession is good for the soul, but it is bad for the reputation. But I got to tell you, what's really bad for the human soul is not to not confess. It's to live a life pretending to be something and trying to manage the way you look around people. That is detrimental not only to your image, but to your very soul itself. And so is it worth it? Let me take you back to James 5. Notice this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, this is very important. Please don't mishear what I'm about to say. Notice that James does not say confess your sins to God and you'll be healed. I would have expected that from James, wouldn't you? Confess your sins to God, you'll be healed. But he says, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. This is a very important principle, biblically based on spiritual transformation. And it is simply this, you and I confess to God to be forgiven. Only God can forgive. But we confess to one another to be healed. What do I mean by that? And what does scripture mean by that? Okay, let, let me put it this way. Old preacher story moment. All right, here it is. You heard about the little boy who's deathly afraid of the dark. So every night after his mama would tuck him into bed, what does he do? Mama, I'm scared. And mama, okay, sweetheart, she'd come and check on me. You're okay, you're okay. Every night, I'm scared. It's okay, you're okay. I'm scared. Just happened on and on. So she gets tired of this to the point where he'd call out and she kind of go, yeah. One night, terrible storm, lightning, it's scary, it's loud, it's flashing. And he cries out in legitimate terror. Mom, I'm scared. And she calls from the other room. It's okay. Jesus is with you. And he calls back. I don't care. I need a Jesus with skin on. (laughs) Confession is where you get to meet Jesus with skin on. Healing comes not because someone else has the power to forgive my sin or your sin, friend. Only Jesus can do this. But sometimes I need to hear the audible voice of one who knows God and is loved by God speak to me that I am forgiven as well. It's one thing to read in scripture, I am forgiven, that God loves me, that he has a plan for me, that my life is not over. It's another thing to hear a beloved friend hear the garbage and say, you're forgiven because Christ says you're forgiven. Don't listen to the lie anymore. This is why healing is so important, but so many of us may be forgiven, but we're limping along because we've never practiced this so, so important practice of confession. C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. That's what happens when we confess. You and I, we find out we're not alone. I've said this before, but if in this moment, right now, just right now, if right in this moment, above every one of our heads, could be illuminated in big neon letters, the sin that you and I struggle with the most, maybe it would be lust or greed or lying or your anger or you're physically violent, whatever it may be that pops up, the only thing that would surprise us in this room is how similar we all are. And confession is the place where the church becomes more than an organization. It becomes the body of Christ saying, this is who I am, but praise be to God, he forgives me. I just need Jesus with skin on to remind me that it is okay. 
This is why so many of us, maybe the first place we need to go is to find that person that we can talk to. So how do we do this? Two things, if you wish to write these down, let me encourage you to do so. Number one, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider who in your life could be a fully disclosing friend. A fully disclosing friend. Now this is an interesting idea and I want to be very careful here. A fully disclosing friend may be a friend, a minister, a spouse, a doctor. It could be a therapist. It could be a spiritual brother or sister. It could be really anyone who you can unburden and disclose your deepest parts of your life to. But I want to encourage you, don't rush this. Don't just, next person you see, say, can we have coffee? I have a few things that I want to get off my chest. Find someone that you have developed a relationship with, that you have seen their character, and you know they are a trustworthy person. Again, what is a trustworthy person? They don't gossip. They're a person who will listen. They don't jump to quick judgment. They don't offer cheap advice or quick advice. They're a person who does not share what they're not supposed to share outside of where they're supposed to share it. That's the kind of person, and it'll take time. So today, you may just want to begin to prayerfully ask God, who is someone, Father, that can be that to me? And then the second one, in the meantime, until you find that person, the second one would be this. Pay attention today to moments when you want to, and this is just a really nice word, bend the truth. By the way, what do we call bending the truth, church? Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. First service wasn't really sure. I'm glad to hear you guys. In the moment when you feel tempted to bend the truth, don't. Practice that. That is one of the first places to begin with confession. Here's what I mean. So uh, you're late to work sometime this week or you're late to an appointment. And the reason is not because you had another thing happen. It's not because traffic was bad. It's because there was a show on. You were watching the last five minutes. You were on YouTube, whatever it was, and now you're late. So in that moment when the temptation comes to say, ah, traffic, it was just so bad. Sorry. Don't do it. Tell them the truth. Now, I encourage you to be thoughtful in the way that you say this. Don't look at them and say, well, YouTube was more important than you, so that's why I was late. But perhaps you could say something like, I'm sorry, I did not give myself enough time to get here to be on time. That's my fault. I'm sorry, I will work to do better. Just don't bend the truth. This is a step. And here's what is so incredible. If you do this, there will be people who are looking for their fully trustworthy person as well. Someone they can disclose to. And as they see that you are a man or woman of honor and honesty, you may become for them the person that you're looking for as well. So confession. Now, if that one doesn't hit you, let's hit number 15. This is the very last one. And it is the practice of submission. Everyone, please say submission. What is it? Willard writes, the highest level of fellowship. Now remember, fellowship is not just hanging out. It's practicing these practices to one, together. The highest level of fellowship involving humility, complete honesty, transparency, and at times confession and restitution is sustained, held up by, continued with the discipline of submission. In other words, the highest levels of fellowship always involve Submission. So what is it? Willard points to a few passages. He points to Hebrews 13 and then also 1 Peter chapter 5. Hebrews 13 gives us a picture of submission within the Lord's church or an example of it, I should say. He writes this, the Hebrew writer says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Now he's talking about people who are further along the spiritual path, people who love you, who know you, who are further along as followers of Jesus. 
Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So in other words, you and I are invited to voluntarily submit to those who are further along or who are leaders of a congregation. And then Peter, writing to the church, he says to the leaders of the church, he says, don't lead as those who have to, dreading it. No, I got to get through this. And don't lord it over people. You as a servant lead. But then he says to those who are spiritually younger, less mature, he says these words, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, again, he can absolutely is talking about elders of a church, but this is also true for us to find people who are further along the path, who are where we want to be, to say, I want your input on how I live my life. But it is a voluntary thing. In fact, this is one of the most important points you will hear today. Submission, biblical submission is not coercion and it is not forced. This is very, very important. Submission is not coerced or forced. Otherwise, it would be just like every other institution in the world. And the church is not an institution like anything else in the world. Submission is voluntarily saying, I come to you and you come to me. And together we will be the kind of people God has made us to be. John Ortberg shared a story that he found. This is from a Yale professor named Stephen Carter. And he was writing on the nature of spiritual community. He talks about a real life situation in which a woman fell in love with a man, but she was not sure if she should marry this man. Now, this is a picture of the woman that is being referenced in this story. And that's the man. She wanted to marry this man. She thought she should, but she wasn't 100% sure. So she went to her spiritual community and she went to some trusted people who were older and wiser and she said here's the situation i'm not sure if i should or shouldn't whatever you tell me to do i'm going to do that because i need wisdom and he writes this stephen carter writes often in our day people who write about spiritual life do so because we value autonomy so much we'll say well this is a clear case of spiritual abuse she just needs to be able to decide for herself The situation Stephen Carter was writing about was a real person. Many of you know who this woman is because you've seen a movie about her. Her name was Maria Von Trapp. And just spoiler alert, she did end up marrying the man because those that she trusted and said, whatever you say, I'm going to do that because I trust you. They said, by all means, marry him. And so she did. It's not coercion. It's voluntarily saying, I trust you. So what is or why do we do this? Submission frees us. There's that word one last time. It frees us to use the wisdom and experience of other more mature Christians in our decision making. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. I need help from people who are further down the road than me. And maybe you do as well. Willard makes this final statement. He says, submission, though, is a call for help to those who recognized as able to give it because of their depth of experience and Christ-likeness, because they truly are elder in the way. In submission, we engage the experience of those in our fellowship who are qualified, that's a big word, who are qualified to direct our efforts and growth and who then add the weight of their wise authority on the side of our willing spirit to help us to do the things we would like to do and refrain from the things we don't want to do. In other words, he's saying very simply, 
Submission is where I come alongside some people I trust and I say, I need wisdom and you have some years behind you. You have some experience. Can you share that with me so I don't get some of the bumps and bruises of life that you went through? Because I really want to be this kind of person. I don't want to be that kind of person. Will you help me? That is what submission is for. That is why it is such a gift to the church. That is why it is a practice of the church. And he finishes with these words. They oversee the godly orders in the soul. It is a case of true leadership when you are coming under someone and they're graciously helping. It is not of the drivership that so often prevails in secular society, but of servant leadership. So how do we do this? Let me give you just a couple ways if you want to practice submission. And I would encourage every one of you in here to find a way to begin practicing each of these 15. Just taste test them. Figure out if one feels good because these are a gift from God to free you and free me. So how do we do this? Very simple. And I appreciate Ortberg's words when, on this. He makes it so clear. He says, here's how you do it. Three things. Number one, think of some people you want to be like. Who do you want to be like? Question, if you're a young mom, a young dad, young parents, you might want to find a couple who have kids who are in middle school, high school, college, maybe even grown and gone. And you say, I want to be like them. They seem to have not messed up their kids very badly. I'd like to not mess up my kid very badly. I'll go to that person because they seem to know how to not mess up kids very badly. There you go. And say, can I just pick your brain? I'd like to learn from you. And then there may come a point where you say, whatever you say in this particular situation, I trust you enough. I, I think I need to do that. Married couples, if you're especially young in your marriage, I would encourage you, you find and you glue yourself to a wiser, older couple. You ask them if they've been married 10 years, 20, 50, however many years, tell me, how do I do what you do so we can go the distance together? I don't want to become a statistic. And by the way, if you have gone through a divorce, if your marriage didn't last, I, would, I just want to say this to you real fast here. We always want to elevate the gift of marriage and we also always want to recognize the challenges of life. And here's the good news. Divorce is not the end of your life. It is another chapter that God can use as the starting point of your testimony. Side point, but I need to say that to some of you in this room because I know that's a painful place. So for some of you, if you're a married person, you look to someone who's a little further down the path. Help me do what you do. I want to be like you. Uh, if you are single... Or if you are divorced, you find someone who has navigated those waters and you ask them. I think about some of you, you business owners, you're trying to start a business and you need godly wisdom. Find a godly man, godly woman, someone who started a business and didn't lose their faith in the process where God didn't become second best. And you ask them, how do I do this? I want to grow the business, but I don't want to lose my relationship with God. So you ask. That's the second part. Ask for their wisdom. And then here's the big one. Are you ready? And this is a big word. You may need to look up how to spell it. Do. Just do what they say. Think of people you want to be like. Ask for their wisdom. And then do what they say. I think about some of the people in my life who have done this for me. When I started in ministry, one of the first men who, who specifically said, I want to mentor you is a guy by the name of Bob Temple. Bob was... Um, already out of the, the public world. He'd been very successful. Now he's in his 80s. But Bob came to me one day and says, hey, I'd like to take you to breakfast. And he said he'd pay. So I said, absolutely. So we went to breakfast together over at IHOP. Had the same waitress every time. We had a great time together. Good enough because he said, let's do this again. I was like, great. I passed the first date. Let's do it again. So a month later, we got together and we got together every month and he would just pour his life out to me. 
I remember finally when it came time, we'd been doing this for a few months, I finally said, hey, Bob, why don't you let me pay? And I figured we'd become really good friends because he said, okay. And then he let me pay every other time afterward. So we were great friends, evidently. But I remember when I was looking to make a decision on what to do with ministry, because I love the church there, but I wanted to step into the pulpit. I felt like that's where God was leading me. And I said, what do I do? And he said, here's the advice I was given when I was much younger. He said, Josh, are you running from something or are you running to something? If you're running from something, you may want to rethink it. But if you're running to something, then I will cheer you on. That's a man who helped direct the direction of my life. I think about another guy by the name of Joel Williams, another great mentor who's just life of the party. Wherever he came, the party began. But he had a deep spirituality to him. He loved the Lord deeply. And I remember one day I was studying for a, a lesson I was trying to teach. And I said, man, I'm just frustrated with this because it doesn't make sense. And God's not making sense. And he stopped me and he said, Josh, don't lose the mystery of God as you study about God. He's bigger than your mind. You will never be able to fully understand him. And if you someday feel like you understand him, I'm sorry, but you no longer know who God really is. I needed that. I think about the very first man who was ever a real mentor to me was my dad. He's still my best buddy. I call him up and we talk all the time. But I remember in high school when all the hormones were just raging and the challenges of life and his comments to me were very clear. Run from this, it'll destroy you, but pursue this because it will give you life. And so here's the question now that we come to the end of these 15. What are you gonna try? There's a buffet table before us. What are you gonna try first? Because there's this beautiful promise that as we pursue the heart of God, as we align our lives, as Jesus Christ aligned his life, we will begin to effortlessly do what Christ did. And we will look more like him. And so this morning, we're going to take a moment to pray. Now, some of you this morning, you don't need another practice because you need a person. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm a follower of Christ, but I just need some things to help me grow. It's another thing to say, I'm not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. So I just want to tell you very quickly the gospel, and here it is. You and I are sinners. We've made choices. We've done things that have broken the heart of God and the heart of others and even broken ourselves. And apart from a supernatural intervention, there is nothing in creation that can save you and me from the just punishment of hell. Separation from God, that's ultimately what sin does. It just separates us. And hell is the ultimate expression of separation. But the good news of the gospel is that God, while we were yet sinners, Paul writes, God sent his son Jesus at the perfect time and he died on a cross taking your sin and mine. And he took the poison of sin out of us dying himself and when he rose from the grave three days later he promised that death had been defeated he had defanged it so now although we may taste a physical death no one would have to taste of eternal spiritual death and the gospel is simply this Christ died for you and now he gives you and me the chance the opportunity for life do you have that before practice you need a person and his name is Jesus We're going to pray and then we're going to sing one final song. If you don't know Jesus or if you've not given your life to him, I invite you all, we sing the song. You meet me out in the lobby. We'll talk about your next step. Because I promise you life begins to make sense when you meet the one who made life. Father, I thank you this morning for your presence in this place. I thank you that we did not come to church, but we are the church. And that when we leave this room today, you will already be in all of our tomorrows. 
And the question before us is, will we choose to walk with you into those tomorrows or not? I ask for those this morning who are struggling with the question, should I follow Jesus? Would you please make the reality of the decision incredibly clear? And for those in this room who are not even sure, have I followed him? Am I a follower? I don't know. Would you please, through conversation, give them the clarity to know where they stand with you so that they can stand with you forever. And Father, for everyone else in this room who has called on the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would not become complacent in our faith, but we would choose to align and organize our lives around the practices of Christ so that we will be empowered by your spirit to do what we cannot do on our own. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence this morning. It's in your name that we pray and all who agree said, amen.